1 through 4. And so he gets up here, and the first thing he says is 1 Corinthians 10, 4. I just, that's hilarious. Anyway, grateful you're here. Good morning. Glad that you're here and glad you made your way up the hill. Some of you I see are out of quarantine, and you're back with us, and it's great. Uh, I just, you never know uh, anybody's circumstance right now. And so uh, it's, it's kind of an odd thing, but uh, I know it's also uh, Labor Day weekend, people doing all sorts of things. And just grateful you made the choice to be up here. If you're a member here, glad you're here, glad you're home. If you're a visitor, glad you came our way and grateful uh, that you've blessed our day this way. 1 Corinthians 16, if you make your way there, I want you to see it uh, in, in your own uh, text this way. Remember next Sunday, special day with our college folks. It's going to include Sunday morning. Steve Clore, excellent. M many of you know his father, Eddie Clore, uh, at Harding, uh, and he does Truth For Today stuff. But Steve Clore, he was at the church where um, the, 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 pre the, the missionary who got Ebola went to. Uh, and the doctor uh, got Ebola, came back here. So Steve Clore did a lot of interviews with people as he kind of told that story when he wasn't able to get around yet. But anyway, he's got a neat, he's got so, such a great grasp of Scripture, and you'll love that. Terry Davis is going to lead singing. And listen, he's going to elicit from you. Those of you just kind of sit here and just sing a little bit. He's going to get you to sing, and, and you're going to enjoy what he has to do. So be here next Sunday with a little bit of extra anticipation, although you love your normal preacher, I know. But anyway... Let's sing together and get to, uh, on 1 Corinthians 16. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me. We talk all the time about how COVID has changed so many things, and we often think about that during the Lord's Supper. But I got to tell you, the one thing that it's changed even more than that is this topic of giving. And I want to describe for you how we've come to accept how we do things. If we would have done this two years ago, many of our diehard Church of Christ people would have left. I mean, it's just so radically different. Let me give you a couple of examples. You ready? If you give in the offering plate, you do it in the foyer, not here. You do it outside of the opening and closing prayer, don't you? It's an act of worship that's not done in worship. You do it as you're coming in or as you're going out, but it's not in the opening, closing prayer parameters of our worship. If you would have done that a few years ago, you'd be hightailing it your way to another congregation. How dare we do that? But it's the answer here, right? Interesting, and here's another one. When it comes to giving in our worship assembly, you know, the only thing we really do is have a prayer, which means we pray as part of our giving two acts of worship at the same time. And that causes a lot of people a little consternation, and they were, we would have left, but because of COVID, we're not doing that. Here's another one. A lot of people give electronically now. You don't even bring a check or even cash or whatever. But here's the interesting thing. When you give electronically, you sure can't give on Sunday, can you? Your electronic offering can only 
be done on a business day. And so some of you who have swiped cards or whatever, you're not really giving today. It's more like tomorrow or Tuesday, which is a weird thing because last week we had our fifth Sunday contribution. Everything over the, uh, the budget goes to the building fund. Well, what if you electronically gave and it didn't land on Sunday? Is it in that contribution or not? Does anybody express any hand-wringing over this at all? Am I the only one who thinks this is interesting? I mean, this is just really strange, right? Well, here's how I saw, I, I called David Rickman. I said, straighten some things out for me. And he said, okay, here, here's the thing. The, 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 the amount that will show up on the official board back there, God's board on the wall back there, the official number on that is what we have collected by Thursday. So your offering, Sunday offering, is now really, it could be any time between the last Thursday and this coming Wednesday. That's your offering. Isn't that weird? We would have never been acceptable of that, right? We never find that acceptable before uh, uh, out of convenience, but because we have the COVID argument, nobody's batted an eye. Isn't that weird? It gets even weirder than this, really, if you want to put it biblically. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16 with me. Here's the interesting thing about 1 Corinthians 16. Actually, all of 1 Corinthians. There's two things Paul's dealing with. There's a there's a report from somebody from Corinth about concerns. And so Paul is addressing some concerns that are going on in Corinth. That's how 1 Corinthians came about. He's also been posed some questions. There's several questions. The only way you know what they are is to look at his answer and figure out what the questions were. But 1 Corinthians is a frequently asked questions section of Paul's web page right now concerning chapter 7 we're going to talk about marriage they had a question about marriage they had a question about food offered to idols in chapter 8 9 and 10 they had a question about spiritual gifts in chapter 12 and so he says concerning spiritual gifts and then we get to our section giving first corinthians 16 1 it's a question about giving what i want you to know is first corinthians at least the second half is a question answer treatment from Paul. And that's how we're gonna make this sermon today. We're gonna to make it a question answer in honor of this form, okay? But I want you to think about something as we look at 1 Corinthians 16 verses one through two on here. Now concerning, again, that tells you they had a question. Now concerning the co collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia in the letter to Galatians, right? Uh, so you also are to do on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there'll be no collecting when I come. And he's going to come through and he's going to collect. He doesn't want to go around to everybody's house, you see. He doesn't want to go around if he comes through on a Thursday, have to go around and get all the money for this special offering they're taking up for the saints in Jerusalem. I want you to do this. Now, follow me here. Paul started the church in Corinth in Acts chapter 18. He lived with them for a year and a half, one of his longer stays. He's in Corinth for a year and a half, getting the church started and strengthened and growing. The church now that he's writing this letter is less than five years old. Do you know what all this means? They weren't doing offering as an element of worship for the first five years. Why didn't Paul have this straightened out while he was there? Because the offering wasn't one of the big five acts of worship when the church started. 
Isn't that weird? We always think, you know what it is. You're, you grew up Church of Christ. You knew all the drills. How many, how many elements of worship are there? Five, and you could name them all. And, and, but you know what? There, for the first five years of the church, there were only four. Lord's Supper, prayer, preaching, and, and what's the other one? Singing, yeah, that's singing. Yeah, so those are, but you, other than that, so the Lord's Supper is five years older than our giving. Isn't that weird? Why did he start this? Why wasn't it there in the beginning? That's an interesting question. The offering is a corrective. It's something he establishes later, but it becomes an aspect of worship. And the way he describes it in 1 Corinthians 16 is it's a matter of convenience. I want you guys collecting your money all week long that you're going to give, and then when you come to church, put it there and leave it there. And then when I come through, we won't have to go around and get money from everybody. It'll be right there waiting for me to take it on to Jerusalem. This is all convenience. He establishes a new element of worship in a five-year-old church. Interesting, isn't it? But it's a beautiful thing because it tells us that first, the early church did meet every first day of the week. They came together for worship, and they decided we're going to make giving a part of this. Now, you can go across town in Jonesboro right now, and you can visit churches of every color and stripe and persuasion. We'll have different kinds of singing, some with instruments, most without, right? Or most with and some without. you'll, you'll You'll do the Lord's Supper in some of them, but mostly not. But there's one thing that every church agrees on. Every Sunday you need to, every church, no matter what stripe, they're all going to say you need to give. I mean, nobody debates this. This is the one thing we all agree on. Bring your money, right, when you come to church. It's really a strange thing. So we have some questions. I have questions that Paul didn't answer And I'm going to do my best to give a biblical answer for him. But just like Paul did in the second part of 1 Corinthians, I'm going to do this updated. First of all, is it a big deal that we do this every first day of the week? That you have something to give every first day of the week? That's an interesting thing because Paul lived in a time when everybody got paid every single day. You were paid every day. And so therefore, every day you need to kind of keep up with, if, if I want to be serious about giving to God, I got to keep, what if you're paid once a month? Would Paul say, break that up into four or five and bring it every week? Or would he say, just do that that one time a month and that's enough? What would Paul say? See, I can't answer that. I'm not inspired. I can tell you what I used to do back when we did it the old fashioned. You're going to say to your kids one day, you know how we used to do it? We used to pass a tray and put money in it. That's what you're going to say. We actually put something in there because our kids don't see us giving anymore electronically if you do that. But let's just say, I, I used to do it this way. So I get paid twice a month. So what I would do is I'd add up all the, the, the contribution I'm supposed to make, break it up into four or five, how many weeks there were, and put it in there. I guess if I were really spiritual, I would break it up for the early service and the regular service, right? I mean, I would, I would write 10 checks a month. I mean, come on, right? Well, I used to think I have to give every week. I still feel that way. There's a part of me in there. I feel confident that Paul would say to you, if you get paid once a month and you determine what you should put it and you put it in there once a month, that's meeting my expectation and the Lord's too. I feel confident about that. But many of you are like I am. 
you feel like you have to give every week because it says that, right? And so you do. Now, electronically, again, it makes it a little bit strange, and we're going to get to electro- uh, the electronic thing once in a while, or, or here in just a few minutes. But it seems odd to a lot of people. This is the thing. It's supposed to be convenient and reflective of a certain proportion of your income, and you just do it as convenient to you. I feel confident that would be his answer. Second question. Can you give for things other than the poor saints in Jerusalem because that was his original purpose? Even though our purposes have changed, do you keep the pattern? Do you keep that means of acquiring the giving collection of the saints? Because uh, after a while, he takes that collection to Jerusalem and it's gone. This, this purpose that he assigned this giving to, it's all done. So does that mean that the instruction is then expired? But what you know as well as anybody knows is every church at every time is going to have its expenses and there's going to be the poor somewhere and there's going to be the people in need somewhere and the church needs to be ready to give. So it seems like the logical answer would be this. Even though what you give it to changes, the authorized means of acquiring it stays the same. It just makes sense to me. And we're gathered here on the first day of the week. It's logical. Let's give. It's a good response to what God has done for us. Question number three. Oh, this one's the toughest one for me. What would, what would God do, or what would Paul have us do with technology? Okay, so here's the weird thing. A few weeks ago, I mean, you may not even be aware of this now. I wasn't until this past week, but we used to have a machine out in the foyer. You'll even have the person doing the giving part of the prayer will say there's a machine to give out there. There's no machine to give out there. Because it became clanky and more than 5% of the money you gave went to some company. Now, for some of us, that's not an issue, and I'm not asking it to be. We'll get to that in a minute. But when you gave in that offering and you gave $100 on your credit card, only 95 reached the church, 94, 95 reached the church, and that just seems a little bit weird. And the elders decided there's a better way. So you can go online. Matthew Walton set that up. You can go online and give online, and only 2 to 3% is taken. But I'm still queasy about that personally. For some of you, you're like, that's just the way of life now. That's how we do it. And if you've never given it a thought, don't let anybody bother you with that. That's the way we live. That makes my skin crawl. It just makes me want to go crazy. And Randy Simpkins will say, amen, right? So what do you do about it? Well, go online to your bill pay, put the Church of Christ as a payee, and every Sunday, even faster than the trays could go around, you know, kind of sanctify your phone. You know, bring out the phones during the, Lord, the, the offering time and bring up that pill, bill pay and put your amount in there and hit that button and faster than you can say, did the tray go by, you've given electronically and it's cost nobody anything. The church gets the same amount that you gave. That just seems to me, I'm just a little bit weird about two or 3% in between there because while that's just two or $3 of your hundred bucks, what if a hundred people do that? What about over time and a thousand people have done that? That becomes weird to me. Again, if you're a person as you know, that's the way of life, the way it is now, don't bat an eye. I'm giving you that as my personal thing. I just kind of go, yeah, and so no, I don't want to do it that way, right? There's other ways you can. Finally, here's the last thing. 
When it comes to an act of worship or giving, what are we supposed to be doing during that time? It just seemed always to be a weird time of worship. A tray goes by, you drop a check in there, it goes on by, and you just sit there until everybody's put their check in there. What am I supposed to be thinking about? Can I tell you this is one of the acts of worship where most of the work for it's been done already. You have sat down, okay, here's, here's what the scriptures say, okay, th- these people in Corinth asked for the, the p- privilege of giving to the needy in Jerusalem one year before this, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 10. And Paul says to them, here's what you do, you give in proportion to your income. Now that's not always easy to figure. That takes some time to think about what's my income and what, does, and what do I need to give of it? And what extra that I've, that I've acquired in another way do I, I need to give of it? What, what, what more? Do, so you have to really do some thinking. What do I make? What's a fair representation of knowing that it all comes from God? What is that? You have to think about that. And you don't think about that on Sunday between the time of the prayer and the tray going by. right? You don't, th- those are things you have to really contemplate contemplate and then you give it cheerfully 9 7 and then 1 Corinthians 16 says put it aside at home and then bring it to church so the, when you used to put that offering in that plate that was the last thing of a long string of things of consideration of how to make the Lord a representation in how you give that was never really the whole thing done right here in the worship service so it's still true today that prayer time is really all we ever did in giving time. You put that check in that, tr- that tray, and it's the last line. You've thought about this outside of worship before you ever came, or at least you were supposed to. I saved my last pet peeve for last, okay? I saved this last one because it, it, it just, it's just a personal thing. And, and, and people are going to say this, and so I don't want you to think, well, this is, you know, I've got to look around and see if Spencer's here before I say that. When you are giving, you are not giving to the church. I've heard people say that, give to the church, and you are. I mean, your check is written to the church because that's the means of doing it. But if it's an act of worship, who are you giving to? Does that matter to you at all? Does it matter to you? As you think about it in your mind, this is my response to God for what he's done. I'm not giving it to the church, although you are. You're giving it to God through the church, and that matters. I, I, I refer to this all the time in Robin Hood, uh, the, the most sanctified version of Kevin Costner's verse. When, when, when he's explaining to Lady Miriam what, you know, how she needs to go and risk her life to tell the king that he's in trouble, and he says, will you do it for your country? And she says no, and he's kind of stunned, and then she looks at him with those beautiful big eyes and says, will you do it for me? I'll do it for you. Who you do it for matters. The reason you're doing this is not because the church has been good to you. The reason you do this is because God has been good to you and you're responding to him. And it goes to the church and you trust these elders to spend it wisely. And that's important. But that leads to the last thing I want to talk about, the three, the three, the reasons why you give. What should be going in your mind What should be motivating? And if you don't think about these once in a while, it will become rote. It will become so habit that you'll find yourself just kind of shrinking it a little bit without any kind of constraint to you. You need to be thinking once in a while about why I do this. Why is this a privilege? 
Number one, you get to participate with God in some of the coolest things in your life. That's what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter eight. This giving is called koinonia. Koinonia is a word that means fellowship. I am sharing life with other people. When you do a fellowship meal, the idea is we're sharing life with each other. Each brings a little bit of food and I eat with different people and I'm sharing life. When I do any fellowship, when we gather together here on Sunday morning and we visit before and we visit after, we're sharing life. It's called fellowship. And when you give money, you are sharing in your life with someone else. Get to that in a minute. It's also called service. I'm serving someone else other than me. I have the privilege of serving someone else. Number three, it's the word grace, charis, grace, which means gift. It's a gift that you're reflecting the grace of God as you're giving. Now, here's what I mean. We don't have the needy saints in Jerusalem anymore, but there's always opportunities and situations that come up in a congregation of five or 600 people. There are things that come up in the lives of people where they need some attention and some help. And this body of people gives so that there's a collection of money that if, it, if someone in here needs it, something gets unbalanced in your life, the elders can come into your life and say, we're concerned about you. Is there anything we can do? And I can't give you a single illustration without violating confidentiality here. I cannot tell you anything, but I will tell you this. Anytime something goes wrong in someone's life here and they're a little bit out of balance, the elders will be on their phone or in your house. They will be asking about you. And if you need help, you will be helped. This is probably one of the best churches I've ever seen at staying attuned to that. Generous church that looks after its own. But I'll never tell you mostly because I don't know either, but I'll never tell you those occasions like that, but, but I bet you if we had testimony time, someone would. But that's not all. It's a privilege to give at Valley View. I think there's, I, I don't, I don't want to brag about elders too much because it looks very self-promoting, doesn't it, right? Like I'm trying to get on their good side. But we have elders who have a good idea of how to responsibly spend stuff to keep people spiritually alert, alive, and growing. Over here you have college people. Now, if you don't know what college broke means, they've talked about this all the time. I get so sick of hearing it, but you know what? I remember being sick of being it. I remember that, right? College broke is unlike any other. It's like you're away from home and... Uh, you're opening cans of pork and beans and, and that's it, right? And so they come to Valley View and I think Valley View is placed in a college town and therefore we do have a responsibility to look after the spiritual needs of college people who come into the, and it's one of the greatest privileges we have. Now, listen, there's three couples, you hear their names all the time. They go around patting themselves on the back and talking about how wonderful they are, right? And they do, they give their time to that and they, do, and they should, they're commended for that. I don't mean to make fun of that at all. But listen, they're not the ones paying for the meals. These people are. I don't say that to make you feel bad. Do not, don't come away thinking that. I'm saying that is, it's the greatest privilege for us to be able to be a part. 
That's what I'm saying. This church believes in you guys. We believe in where you are, and we love you guys, and we don't behold that at all. Youth group over here, some of them gathering together. To have a youth group, and I'm, do I have to tell you that's one of the most spiritually formative times in the life of young people? And you go, you go to Bible camp, and listen, you, you, people will say that's just fun and games, and they're completely wrong. Completely wrong about that. And camp costs a lot of money. So does everything else. The programming for all this costs a lot of stuff. But we have people coming in. We have wealthy people that have no trouble giving. But we also have people on fixed incomes giving their money to God. And they don't mind at all giving because they love our youth group. It's not just a youth group. It's not Valley View. It's ours. And all of us get to contribute and the privilege of participating in you growing up. It's called fellowship. And we love doing it. Right? We love doing it because we want to be part of this. And this one time in your life like this that's like this, and it's right now, and we want to stand watch, and we're on the wall, and we're going to pay the bill without complaint. It goes further than that, doesn't it? Randy Simpkins is round, wound tighter than a you know $2 bill or whatever they say. He wants our mission money. Gary Buck's the same way. They want our mission money to matter, and so we give to Bear Valley, who go, and they, and they teach these people in these countries how to reach their own people. It's a cost-effective way to do it. We are, listen, when you give in the cont contribution, there are people in Myanmar hearing the gospel. There are people through gospel chariots hearing the gospel in Africa, a place you will never be. And don't tell me, well, we don't need to be over there. We need to be over here. No, that's not true. We need to be over there. We need to be over there and over here, right? We can do all that because of the generosity of here. And when you give in that offering plate, you go to Romania and you go to other countries like Nigeria and Kenya and, and Haiti and inner city little rock you're going to these places to make sure somebody at least has a chance to hear the gospel you get to participate in cool things and when you fund it church when you give to the church when you give to the lord through this church that's where it goes it's one of the coolest things i don't know a better way to spend a dollar bill than that but you also are acting just like Jesus. You are doing nothing but imitating Jesus, and we're striving to do that in all our lives. We're striving to do that with how we talk and how we treat people and how we live out our beliefs. We're trying to do that all the time, but listen. Listen to this from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. I want you to prove the genuine nature of your love, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, when was Jesus rich? He had heaven. Though he was rich for you, not for him, your sake he became poor. When did Jesus become poor? He gives up heaven, riches, comes down to earth in the lowest of lows called poverty so that there's only one reason he did it. So that you, in your poverty of humanity, might become rich. Y'all, this is our story and we're sticking to it, aren't we? This is our story until the Lord comes, we're telling it. 
We're going to gather around the table in a minute, in just a little bit, and we are going to rehearse that story yet again. He was rich, gave up riches for poverty so that we in our poverty might become rich through him. And when you decide to give of your means what you've been given through your labor, and you give that up, and you make yourself a little poorer by giving to the Lord in the church, someone becomes richer. You're doing a Jesus. You're actually pulling a Jesus. And there's a last thing. You're setting yourself free from the love of money. Do you know what's going to claim more American souls than anything else? Love of money. Love, 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 love the money, right? Show me the money, right? And that has a power, y'all. It has a power to root you to earth. It has a power to make you materialistic and you want to cling to every bit of penny and you want to buy whatever you can buy and you want to claim whatever you can claim and you want to keep it all for yourself. And that's the, that's the power of the American dream and that's what, you know, it's mine anyway. And God says, you know what, I want to set you free of that. I want to deal a death blow to materialism and greed from taking you down to hell with it. I want to give you a means of overcoming that and setting yourself free from it. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to let you practice the discipline of giving every single week so that you can't get too engrossed in it. You have to stop yourself every week and give up just a little bit of it and it sets you free. Here's what he says about this, 2 Corinthians. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel. Because you believe the gospel, you submit to God and his request for your giving. You know what that does? Submission is, I'm gonna give up what's mine so that it benefits you and I get the best deal of all. I grow. I set myself free from the love of money. Submission. Why do I do that? Because I believe the story that we're going to rehearse in a minute. Because I believe that story of the gospel, I'm going to practice that gospel. I'm going to give every week. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure, yes, I want to hold on to it. And I think of what all this could buy. And a 20 looks a whole lot bigger when you're putting an offering plate than when you're spending it at an ASU football game. It looks so much bigger, doesn't it? It looks so much more like it's possible. And you think of all these things you could buy with. And instead you say, I'm not going to set my heart upon this. I'm not going to put my hopes and dreams in this. I'm going to give this to God so that it serves somebody else and set myself just a little more free from the love. Of, of money. That's what I'm going to do. And God says, make it a discipline for your life and save your soul with it. He's not just demanding your money as if he needs it. He's asking for it so that you won't suffocate from worldliness. This action belongs in worship. This action, this worship response belongs after the Lord's Supper. It really does. It fits right there. And there's so much more going on when you give than you really realize. More going on in the world because of it. More going on in your soul because of it. More going on in the delight of God with you than you know. So much going on in this act that you wouldn't want to miss it. If you miss it, listen, you'll miss it. Final word. They gave according to their means 
as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They couldn't wait to help. I hear that at Valley View a lot. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. And that's the truth, y'all. The offering debates, if there are any, will go away when you give yourself first to the Lord. Give yourself first to him and the offering is not an issue in your heart. And so he says, as you excel, talking to the Corinthians, as you excel in your faith, as you grow in your faith, as you grow in your speech, as you grow in your knowledge, in all earnestness, in your love, and his love for you, make sure you excel in this act of grace too. Make sure that you grow in this. The Lord has given a lot for you. He's gave everything for you. And he asks you to give a little back. For those of you who have already benefited from the gospel, giving is not an issue at all. For those who don't know the story and don't embody the story in themselves, it will always be a point of contention. It will always be a debate because you have not already decided he's Lord of your life. You haven't given him. He's given you everything already and he asks for you to give him your life to bow your knee confuse your mouth to confess Jesus as Lord to be immersed in the waters of baptism once you've confessed your sin and named him Lord and become his servant and the offering becomes a moot point after that really if you've not done that this morning you have another chance and those who have are going to stand and they're going to sing to encourage you let's sing <clears throat>